Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Our reading this evening is taken from Philippians chapter 2, and you'll find that on page 1179 in the Church Bibles. So we're reading Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you, and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honour people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Penny, and good evening, everyone. It's very good to uh, see you tonight. Um, do keep your Bibles open about reading. Uh, if you have a church Bible, it's page 1179. And uh, let me pray as we look at God's Word together. The Apostle Paul writes, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Our Father in heaven, as we live with that verse this year, and as we look at your word tonight, we pray that you would help us to see how we can increasingly live that verse out in our lives. And we pray you give us help by your spirit. Help me as I preach. Help us all as we look at your word that we might increasingly live for Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. We live in an age of convenience. In years gone by, people would spend most of their waking hours, their energy, just scraping together enough food to put on the table day by day. But nowadays, just a few moments online, and we can click and order all the food that we could possibly want in the world. We can buy our Christmas presents online. No more dreadful trips to Metal Hall. I'm a big fan of online shopping. Uh, we can manage all our money on an app 
on our phone, just a couple of swipes and we're all sorted. Very handy. Uh, Want to watch a film? You don't have to go to Blockbusters anymore, maybe heard of that, and to rent a video which you then bring home and forget to return back to the shop. Just go online and download one. Fancy a, a takeaway, a pizza? No problem. There are any number of companies who would love to bring it to your door. We live in an age of convenience, and in many ways, it is a great blessing. Don't get me wrong, but it's also hugely dangerous because as Christians, we are not called to a life of convenience. We're in the middle of a series in Philippians, and we saw a few weeks ago back in chapter 1, verse 27, that Paul writes to show the Philippians and us that we are called to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. To be a Christian is to be a citizen of heaven with a new life to live, a life lived for Christ and based on him. And one of the ways that citizens of heaven are to live in a a radically different way from the earth that we live in is around convenience and comfort. On one hand, our reading tonight sounds a bit like a text we might receive from a friend. They were planning to visit us next weekend, but something's come up. So they text us to say, I'm really sorry, I can't come this weekend, but I'll come when I can. It's good to know. Logistics, travel plans. It's the kind of stuff that the Apostle Paul, if he has to cover it, he tends to cover it at the end of his letter when he's sort of winding up. But the thing is, as Paul talks about these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, and his plans and their plans, he's not come to the end of his letter. He, far from it, he's in full flow. So why does Paul pause to tell us about these two men? Because these two men are worked examples of what it looks like to be citizens of heaven. Tonight, we're going to see what happens when the beauty and glory and majesty of the Lord Jesus starts to grip lives and to transform priorities and plans and agendas as we look at Timothy and Epaphroditus. And so tonight, what would it look like for the heart of Christ to grip us? We'll see two things. First, we'll see people serving like Timothy. Let's pick it up, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. The plan makes sense. Remember, Paul is in prison, probably in Rome. He can't FaceTime the Philippians to share the news, and so uh, he's going to send Timothy as a messenger to share Paul's news about his prison and trial with the Philippians who are worried about him, and to hear how they are doing when Timothy comes back to Paul. It's a good plan, but it's not an easy plan. Uh, Rome is about 800 miles as the crow flies from Philippi. 
It's a journey many people made, but it, it wasn't an easy journey. Just ask Epaphroditus, uh, more on him in just a moment. But you can picture the scene over the cornflakes one morning. Uh, Paul's in prison, but he's got some of his team around him in prison, and they're just talking about plans coming up. And he says, right, team, how about it? Someone fancy making the, um, the three-month trip down to Philippi? And as he glances around the room, eyes look down at the ground, and people turn away from Paul. No, no one fancies the journey. It's just a bit too hard, a bit too much. And then Paul gets to Timothy, and Timothy is well up for it. His eyes are ablaze. I, I would love to go to Philippi. Count me in. I'm up for it. Why? Verse 20. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. And behind Timothy's concern for the Philippians lies an even deeper motivation. Verse 21. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Two weeks ago, we looked at that early Christian hymn from Philippians 2 that describes the most amazing journey that Jesus made from heaven to earth and from life to death. To die on the cross for us, to rescue us from our sin, to bring us life, relationship with our heavenly Father. And Timothy has been looking at the example of Jesus. His heart has been warmed and filled with the mindset of Jesus. And he understands the cross. Of course, Timothy can't make the same journey as Jesus. He can't go from heaven to a cross to save people from their sin. But he can go from Rome to Philippi because he loves people. And the interest of Christ has gripped his heart. Here is a very concrete example of the very thing Paul was urging the Philippians to back in uh, chapter 2, verse 4. You might remember it a few weeks back. He's, Paul says to the Philippians, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as, as Christ Jesus. And here is Timothy with that very mindset. It was great having Mark Mendel here last week as he spoke about how God's kingdom is, is growing around the world and what God is doing in different parts of the world. And as we heard Mark speak to us and we thought about our mission partners around the world, maybe for some of us that might be the right thing to do. To, out of love for Christ and out of a, a mindset that follows Christ, we might consider giving up our day jobs and our careers and our incomes and our comforts and heading hundreds of miles to a different country to look after the interests of others. That's what Timothy was willing to do. Of course, we don't have to travel 800 miles to look after the welfare of others. The journey could be much shorter. It could be a journey from our seat tonight to go and chat to someone else after our meeting finishes, someone on their own, someone who's a newcomer, someone who can tell us had a hard week because we're looking after the interest of others. This, well, not this week because we've got half term, but maybe in the course of the rest of this term, thinking about our small groups, 
After a busy day at work, perhaps our own interest would be to just stay in, have a quiet night. But the interest of others would be to go and be there, not for what we can get out of the study, but to encourage them and build them up. As we review our financial giving as a church family, this is part of the question that the mindset of Christ provokes us to ask as we think about our our bank accounts and, and where our money goes month by month. Do we see evidence of an interest for others? As is often the case, God puts around us in the everyday normal routines of life, people we can serve, opportunities to live out the mindset of Christ. That was true for Timothy, verse 22. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. You see, Timothy, day in, day out, he'd been with Paul and he'd been serving Paul in the small things and the everyday things. He had sort of demonstrated, he'd proven to people his servant heart. And so his desire to go to Philippi, it doesn't come from out of the blue. Maybe he was sort of, you know, you might think, or maybe just so wowed by a bit of a jaunt overseas from some fun. No, not at all. Timothy has a servant heart, proven again and again. And that's why he was willing to make the hard journey to Philippi. The famous conductor, Leonard Bernstein, was once asked what he thought was the hardest instrument to play. And uh, he famously said this, the second fiddle. I can get plenty of first violinists, but to find someone who can play the second fiddle with enthusiasm, that's a problem. Here, here is Timothy, like a son to his father Paul, happy to play the second fiddle, not seeking the limelight, because, verse 22, he's a servant. It's the same word used of Christ when he took the very nature of a servant back in verse 7. Timothy is simply adopting the mindset of Christ. Growing up, I remember my parents uh, would at times announce a change of plan for the family, perhaps uh, Someone was coming around for dinner unexpectedly or we're going to change our travel plans to pick someone up, take them to church or something. And I can remember at times as a kind of young boy just groaning and rolling my eyes. Why do we have to do that? Have them around or whatever it is. And uh, I remember on more than one occasion, my parents saying to me, service is really convenient It's the kind of thing you hate to hear when you're a teenage boy. (laughs) But it's spot on, isn't it? Service is rarely convenient. It wasn't convenient for Jesus, who exchanged the glory of heaven for the shame of a cross, to serve us. And can we see, to serve this way like Timothy, it's going to mean that we have to be different from our culture. It's going to cut right against the grain of our convenience, where... We've learned to sort of prize comfort and ease. Citizens of heaven are called to a different way of living, serving like Timothy, as we look to the example of Christ. In a room this size, there might be different reactions to what I'm saying. Maybe some of us are feeling a little bit um, defensive tonight or a little bit grumpy. I don't want to 
live my life that way. Why should I? Or this sounds a bit too much, Pete. I get it. I often feel that way too. I think the Apostle Paul would understand as well. But I think he'd want to say to us, okay, it is hard. But what we need to do is go back and look at Christ and to think more about what he has done for us. When Paul says, for to me to live is Christ, this is part of what it means to keep setting our gaze on him and being amazed at what he's done for us. And as we do that, we'll find our hearts being transformed by his love. For others of us, I think there'll be an opposite problem. We want to serve, we are serving, perhaps at great personal cost, And the danger for us is that we overdo it. We extend ourselves too far. You know, helping people can be a bit like signing a blank check. You know, you don't know how much it's going to cost you. Or if you're not really um, into checks, maybe that's uh, too old for you, then um, maybe giving someone your bank card and watching them tap it on the machine again and again and again and again, just drawing down the reserves in your account and you're just watching on. That's how service can feel, can't it, sometimes, looking after people? But even Paul has his spending limits. Notice how he puts it in verse 19. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Why does Paul say he he hopes rather than he definitely will send Timothy? Well, we get the answer in verse 23. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. Paul is talking about his trial. And he doesn't know how it's going to go, whether he'll be released or he'll be killed. It's this big thing hanging over him. And Paul just can't bring himself to say goodbye to Timothy yet. He needs him. Timothy is like a son to him. Paul is wavering in his moment of trial, and he he needs Timothy around. It would be too big a cost to send Timothy off to Philippi before he knows what's going to happen to him in his trial. You see, Paul has his limits. Yes, Paul loves people and has the mindset of Christ, but even still, he needs to have people around him to help him through the hard times. We all have limits. It is okay at times to say, I can't. Or, not now, not yet. The summer before last, uh, in August 2021, I was very grateful to the the wardens and the PCC for giving me uh, three extra weeks off beyond my annual leave. They could see that I was was pretty exhausted, and I was at that point a little while ago. And they gave it to me as as a kind gift, just to rest. I needed it. And I'm aware that by my absence, there are others in the staff team who had to step up and work harder to kind of cover my responsibilities. And I'm very grateful for those who did. And one of the great joys of gospel partnership is that, yes, at times we can give to others and serve, but also they can serve us. At times we'll have a surplus. At times we'll be a need. And that's one of the beautiful things about having Christ as our example, as we all serve each other. 
when a church community is gripped by the heart of Christ, we'll see people serving like Timothy. But second, we'll see people suffering like Epaphroditus. I, I imagine the Philippians might have been a little bit sad to be reading through the letter and to discover that uh, neither Paul nor Timothy were going to come to them straight away. He just explained why. It's very understandable, but um, maybe a bit sad. But there's good news because Epaphroditus is coming to them. In fact, with this very letter, I think. In verse 25, we find that he was a messenger sent by the Philippians to Rome to find out how Paul was doing. He also came to take care of Paul's needs. I think Paul's talking about a financial gift from the Philippians sent with Epaphroditus to help Paul while he was in prison. More on that in chapter 4. But why is Epaphroditus being sent home? I remember a couple of years ago, England were away um, playing and uh, the, the, the football team and a couple of the squad members got into trouble one night and they had to leave the camp early. They went home in shame because of uh, misbehaving. Has Epaphroditus done something wrong with Paul? Is he being sent home early in shame? Not at all. In verse 25, Paul calls him my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier. Epaphroditus has been brilliant with Paul, but he needs to go home. Verse 26, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill. He almost died. It seems he, he picked up some sickness on his journey from Philippi to Rome. The Philippians hear about Epaphroditus, and they become worried about their friend. Epaphroditus hears about their worry, and he becomes worried about their worry. And then Paul hears about Epaphroditus' worry about their worry, and Paul becomes worried. We've heard of a love triangle. Well, here's an anxiety triangle. And it's wonderful. Mutual love and concern for everyone. But Epaphroditus needs to go home, verse 28, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. It's a wonderful picture of the love and care that exists between gospel partners. I think people often think of the Apostle Paul as this... Um, slightly abrupt, a bit abrasive kind of character who may, might lack empathy for other people. Not at all. He would have been devastated if Epaphroditus had died. And he is deeply concerned about the Philippians' anxiety. It's lovely to see Paul's heart, but I think his main concern is that Epaphroditus gets the welcome he deserves. So verse 29 so then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Maybe it's a British thing. Maybe it's because we're worried about pride. I don't know. But I don't think we're very good at this. I don't think we're very good at publicly honoring people like Epaphroditus, publicly naming them, 
stating what they've done, honoring them before the people. It's what Paul says is right for Epaphroditus. Paul's not a fan of pride. That's clear from earlier on in Philippians 2. He's very much against it. And yet he has no problem saying to the Philippians, honor Epaphroditus. Why is that? I think it's because Epaphroditus was not motivated by self-interest or his own status. His desire was the work of Christ. That was his big desire, to serve the Lord Jesus, to serve people. And when Paul sees that kind of mindset, that's what makes him say, honor him. It's good, it's right. It was lovely to hear from our mission partners at our prayer meeting the other week. They are wonderful examples to us of people who have taken risks, even who have suffered for the work of Christ, and they are heroes. We should honor them. We should think much of them. We should talk about them, pray for them, not forget them, because of their heart to serve Christ. But I wonder how we feel about this, because it, it does feel a bit on the edge, doesn't it? Is it really right to honor the example of people like Epaphroditus? Paul says, end of verse 29, honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ? Is Paul saying that we should be reckless with our lives? Or that it's somehow a, a sort of badge of honor to push ourselves so hard in the in the work of Christ, that we kind of undo ourselves. I've heard people say it's better to burn out than rust out in our Christian service. Is that right? Is that what Paul is saying that we should honor when we see people doing that with our lives? Well, no, I don't think so. In part because of what we've seen about Paul and his own boundaries, his own self-care when he's in prison. I need Timothy with me a bit longer but also because Paul's focus is on the risk Epaphroditus was willing to take. I think of of a friend of mine. uh, We were trainees together many years ago. And when we finished being trainees, I was very brave, and I left Oxford and moved to London. My friend was properly brave. He left Oxford and moved to China. And he moved to China to help support Christians who were out there. And... It wasn't a kind of a super risky step to take because as a British citizen, if you got caught doing stuff the government didn't like, the most likely thing they'll do is just send you back to Britain. But there was some risk to it. Um, There was some danger to it. And it took a lot for him to decide to go. It was a, a calculated risk. And I think that's the kind of thing that Paul is talking about here with Epaphroditus. Uh, He has decided to go from Philippi to Rome. It's a kind of journey many people would have made back in Paul's day. It wasn't an unusual journey, but it was a long journey, and there were some risks on the way, and indeed Epaphroditus got very, very ill. So it wasn't like a kind of completely foolhardy, crazy, you know, it's going to end badly, whatever happens kind of risk. But it was a willingness to step out of his comfort zone, to do something that was not as safe as staying home for the work of Christ. And there is something about following a crucified Christ 
that should, I think, lead us to being willing to be a bit risky with our decisions, not to seek to live life wrapped up in cotton wool, trusting God with our futures and our lives. And I wonder if we've noticed that just as God the Father honored his son after Jesus died on the cross, so Paul honors Epaphroditus after he was willing to risk his life for others. Suffering like Epaphroditus. As we finish, I think it uh, is easy to be discouraged at times about examples we see in church life of people not serving like Timothy or suffering like Epaphroditus. I look at my own life and I wish I was more like them. I wish I'd made more progress in my attitudes towards people. But I wonder if we can see what Paul is doing for us tonight. He is not beating us over the head. He's not shouting at us, come on, do better in your Christian service. But he is showing us that it is possible to grow. It is possible to change. It is possible to bear the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. The more and more we as a church family look to the example of Jesus and allow what he's done to fill our hearts and minds, it will change us. It won't be a straight line upwards. There'll be dips and troughs and good seasons and bad seasons, but he will be at work in us to become more like these two men. And as Will read towards the beginning of our meeting tonight, from, one, uh, from Philippians 1 verse 6, he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these two heroes of the faith, Timothy and Epaphroditus. We thank you for their willingness to serve and to suffer for the sake of Christ. And we thank you for the way in which he had gripped their hearts and changed their priorities. Father, have mercy on us, we pray tonight. Please help us so to see Jesus that you would change our hearts by the power of your spirit to increasingly be a church family gripped by him and willing to live this way. In Jesus' name, amen.